Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. All right, we are keeping on with the series Unleashed. We're going through the book of Acts. And I want to ask you, um, how many of you like puzzles? Like puzzles? A few of y'all like puzzles? Um, last week or a couple of weeks ago, uh, Joe Kraft, uh, he's in here somewhere. There he is back there. How can I miss him with that shirt? Um, he, he called me up out of the blue. This true story. He called me up out of the blue during the middle of the week. And he's like, Bobby, I just had to have somebody I could celebrate with. I did a puzzle this week. And he said, it, I'm the most proud about the fact that on the box it said 12 to 24 months. And it only took me three days. He did. He called it. He said that was his joke. He said to me, I wasn't just throwing him, you know, I wasn't just bashing him. But, uh, but how many of you, if you like to do puzzles, you get down to the, have you ever gotten down to the end and there was a what? A missing piece. You talking about monopoly flipping the table over type stuff, right? That, that's like infuriating, right? You get to the end of a puzzle and it's missing a piece or two, you know, like right in the center or something like that. It don't matter where it's missing from. It's just something about, it makes your brain break. Am I right? If, if you've done puzzles, it's like you just, you want to lose it. And it, it, it's a frustrating thing. Um, a couple years ago at the beginning of the p- pandemic in 2020, uh, I was out for a bike ride, which I did fairly often. I went out after a rain and I was crossing this wooden footbridge that I cross all the time. And I got to make sure y'all understand this is bike as in bicycle, not motorcycle. <laughs> it's nowhere near that cool. Um, I'm going on that bridge and I hit the wet wood and my bike literally gave me no chance. Just went poof and kicked out beside me. I go, I hit the asphalt on the other side of the wooden bridge. I hit my head, I hit my arm, everything. The the handlebars slip around and break my left wrist. Yeah, it was fun. So I had, you know, surgery. I had all this stuff. I had this, this brace thing for a few months. We go on our anniversary trip. And we're going hiking in the mountains of North Carolina, me and my wife, and we're up at the top of uh, Linville Gorge, I think is what it's called. There's this huge, powerful waterfall. It's really, really cool. And we went to this one side view where you're up above the water. You're probably, I don't know, 150 feet above the water. It's, it's big, however big it is, it's huge. And we're up there and we're like looking and all of a sudden I get this rock in my shoe. And so I reach down and I got this big brace on my hand and I'm trying to like knock my you know, shoe out to get the rock out. And I, that brace goes boom and knocks my shoe off the side. <laughs> and I kid you not, like for a second, I go to like grab it. Cause there's like a little, you know, it like goes down like this. I got a, I got a picture. <laughs> a video there, I should say. All right. Now there's a picture. Yeah. So um, I had a video that was longer. I didn't have time to cut it down. But literally, like, you can see, like, I, you can sort of see where my shoe went. It's just like straight cliff. I mean, it was just crazy. And so I think it was about four miles back down, and I had to go with, with one shoe and one sock and with cast. So I'm like, <laughs> like this the whole time. And I'm telling you, when you are hiking, shoes are an important thing. Unless you're really granola, I guess, you know, but I'm not that granola. Like I don't even walk barefoot in my house hardly, but I had to walk down this mountain on these rocks and over these roots and all this sort of stuff. And you know, there was some mud hole places, you know, it was just fun. And it was hot and sticky like this because it was August. And I'm telling you, that's a missing piece when you're hiking is, is your shoe. If you're missing it, you realize that you are missing something. 
And I believe that with the modern church, as we've been talking about in the book of Acts, you know, we've been saying it's a, a blueprint or a template for what the church is supposed to look like. If you want to see how the church can thrive and be at its best, I think the book of Acts is a great place to go because it's the history of the beginning of the church, the first Christians, all that sort of stuff, the first time ever that the gospel's preached and you find in the book of Acts. So, you know, like the old saying goes, where you want to uh, drink from a river is it's most pure at its source, right? Up at the top of the mountain, that's the safest place. You don't want to drink downstream, just in case you're ever out in the wild, if you're like me and you're an avid outdoorsman, as you see. Um, you don't want to drink downstream. You know, there might be some cows upstream from you. It's just, whoop, just a little lesson, a little life lesson. But up at the top, it's purest. And at the beginning of the church is its purest form. And so if we want to be like that church, we look at the recording in the book of Acts of what it's like. But we want to see what the missing pieces are for the modern church if we feel like maybe there's something missing. Because I don't know about you guys, but I look at the book of Acts and I see those things and I'm like, man, I, I want to experience some of that. Now, I know it's a little bit different. They had the apostles right there with them and that is extra special. That is something different. But I want to see more like what they had in the book of Acts with people just coming to Jesus by hundreds and, and thousands and seeing lives change. And we see that, but we want to see more. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want to settle for less. Do you guys? And so we want to look and see what might be missing. We want to be as biblical as possible. And so we look at the book of Acts. And I, I don't know if you know this, you know, depending on, you know, how often you're here, how long you've been here, you might look and say, well, this is a smaller church, but we are growing. We are really growing. Just this month alone, we've had a couple of Sundays. This is actually our what, fourth Sunday of the month. So as of last week, two of the three Sundays were over 100 in attendance, which is really good. That's right. That's right. We've been sort of like bumping around, you know, even through the summer, like kind of like high 80s and 90s most of the summer, but now we've had a couple of Sundays over 100, and it's exciting. We've had so far, and we've shared this several times that up to this point, we've had 11 baptisms this year alone, and that, that's awesome. That's, that's more than we've ever had in one calendar year, and there's still time for the year, and I know there's a few people that are thinking about it, and so it's an exciting thing. Our church is growing, but we don't want to settle for good enough. We don't. I hope and pray that, you know, if you're married or you're thinking about being married one day, that you don't want to just settle for good enough in your marriage, you know? If you're at your job, I hope you don't want to just settle for good enough at getting the job done. There's a lot of people that do that, but it's kind of a miserable way to live, right? And if you're like into sports or you're into some kind of hobby where it's maybe a little bit competitive, or even if it's not competitive, you compete with yourself and you want to do it, hopefully, to the best of your ability. That's a, a scriptural idea to do everything as if you're serving the Lord, it says in Colossians, everything to the glory of God. And the church absolutely has got to be the same way and the foremost place we want to do our best to be more like Jesus. Amen? So we want to look this morning and see what the missing pieces might be because I want to see more families healed. I want to see more souls saved. I want to see more people helped. I want to see more eternities changed and shifted, family trees completely fixed and healed and recovered, and the, the, the trajectory of their family changed. I want to see all that. So what's missing from the church? And, and once again, I'm speaking a little bit about our church, but I'm speaking about the church in general, but the church in general is made up of Christians, church, the church everywhere combined. So we have to start with us. 
And when you ask somebody what might be missing from the modern church, you would probably, if you ask 100 people, you'll probably get 95 to 100 different answers, at least slightly different. So I believe a good place to start, though, is in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Acts. We went through part of chapter 4 last week, but the last part of chapter 4 is where we're going to kick off and and spend some time in in part of chapter 5. And I I believe there's a few pieces that we might want to look for, and if they're missing in our lives, we want to add them. So these are what I'm just calling the missing pieces for explosive growth. Look at Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. The scripture will be on your screen, but if you want to follow along in your Bible, we'd love for you to do that as well on your Bible app. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That's a nickname right there, right? You know, how many of us would probably get that nickname, son of encouragement or daughter of encouragement? Would it be like son or daughter of complaining or grumbling? You know, sometimes that might be us, right? But he was son of encouragement. All right, look, he was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, verse 37, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I want to ask you, what do you notice about the early church right here, especially in this part of chapter 4? And if you think back, if you've been reading along, if you've read Acts in the past, what you see commonly sort of shown in Acts chapter 2, especially, and here again in Acts chapter 4, what do you notice about the early church? They were giving. That's right. I I clarified and I classified it as they were radically generous, radically generous, because it was giving to be sure. But sometimes, you know, my level of giving and your level of giving might be very different, but this was radical generosity that they were sharing and experiencing. And it was a mind-blowing thing. They were radically generous. So the first missing piece that we want to look at and see if it's missing in our lives. Now, I'm going to say this again. I've said it before, but I want to clarify You and I have to answer these questions for guess who? Ourselves. We have to answer them for ourselves. We can't answer them for anybody else. Number one, because we can't change or truly affect anybody else. We can encourage them. We can can convict them. We can even be a jerk about it to them. But it won't necessarily change them. But who can we affect change in? Ourselves. And so we've got to start with us. So the first question is this, am I radically generous? Am I radically generous? You see in Acts chapter 2 that the believers had everything in common. You know, it said that they gathered from house to house every single day. And man, they were sharing and giving. And then you see something similar here in Acts chapter 4. And we see uh, all these different things. It describes it here in chapter 4 as they had one heart and soul. One heart and soul. They were like just linked in together. They were meshed. I mean, they were tight together, thinking the same, acting the same, loving the same. And I want to challenge this because you cannot, I cannot, we cannot ignore the correlation between their giving and the explosive growth of the church. 
It's brought up in two, at least two major ways in the first four chapters of the history of the church about their generosity. And in the same breath, the same beat, it says that the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. And so we got to see there's a correlation by the way that we're living, being so generous with one another and with people who were in need and the growth of the church. And Jesus said it clearly. In Matthew chapter 6, verse uh, 21 through 24, he, he said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Who said that? Jesus. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. You can, you can convince yourself, you can lie to yourself, you can lie to other people, but if your treasure doesn't belong to God first, your heart's not with him. If it's somewhere else, if your money and your treasure is somewhere else, that's where your heart is and that's what it's with. And then he says a little bit later there, I believe in verse 24, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. He just makes it so clear in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said that. And the reason I point this out is because generosity is one of the final frontiers for a lot of believers. It really is. I've seen people, you know, I've been in ministry, I grew up in church, I went away for a while, but I've, you know, been in church a lot of my life and I've been in ministry for a long time, gosh, 23 years full time. And I've seen a lot of people, including myself at times, who believe and love God and have tried to give him everything, but sometimes, you know, they hold on to that wallet. I, I carry my wallet in my left pocket, I don't have it right now, but that's, that's why I'm reaching there. They carry their bank account close to their heart. And they say, I'm going to give you everything, Jesus, but I don't know if I can give you this. You know, I've talked about before, it's like almost like sometimes when we're baptized, you know, we're baptized and all of a sudden, last second, you see your wallet or your purse come out of the water and hold it out. I ain't baptizing that, Jesus. I'll go to heaven with one, no hand and, and my pocketbook will be taken care of, right? I mean, it's like, you know, I, I, I'm not going to give everything. I, I just can't do it. It's a, it's a power thing and it's hard for a lot of people. And it's really difficult. But here's the thing. If that's you, like it was me many years ago, you don't get to truly experience the fullness of joy of what it means to be a believer and a follower of Jesus. You really don't. And if you're struggling with that, you're arguing right now in your head with me. I know that because I've been there. I've been there. I've done that. But you don't get to experience the full joy and release and surrender that we're meant to experience and the freedom that God intended. Because until you do, you've got another God, a little G God that you have got between you and the one true God. And so you don't ever experience the fullness of what it is to be sold out to Jesus. You know, it's one of those final frontiers, but here's a couple of quick tips I think we can see from Scripture and even some from this passage to help us see how we can become more radically generous. The first idea is this, recognize ownership. Recognize ownership. Just like in Finding Nemo, those little seagulls, they always go around saying what? Mine, 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 mine. And most of us about money, that's the way we go. It's mine, 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 or it's wish I had some that was mine, mine, you know? And, and that's the attitude that we have. But if we're a Christian, if we've been baptized into Christ, guess what? We don't own anything anymore. And that is easy to acknowledge sitting here, but when it comes to everyday life, it's hard. It's hard to really live that out, but that's what we need to do. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to follow him in everything, everything. Recognize that God owns it all. 
And, you know, Romans chapter 6 tells us really clearly we died at baptism. We died at baptism. Guess what? Dead people don't own stuff. For many families, the minute somebody takes their last breath, people are just scrounging and grabbing for anything they can. Those people don't take any of it with them, do they? You know, dead people don't own stuff. And so if we die to Christ at baptism, we don't own anything anymore. It belongs to God. And, you know, we understand this truth. There in verse 32, you know, it says that they didn't, the early church didn't even count their possessions as their own. That's what, that's how radical they were taking this. They said, this stuff isn't my stuff, it's it's God's stuff. And so therefore it's your stuff too. If you need it, I'm going to give it. So recognize ownership that everything we have belongs to God. If you can start to wrap your mind around that, that's going to be a step to freedom. Number two is give first. This is a hard one, and this is a really hard one, and I wrestled with this one for a long time. But give to God first. There's an old saying, you know, an old preacher saying, give to God what is right, not what is left. You know? Because we all know, I I don't know about y'all, I've got a lot of kids, and them suckers eat a lot of food. You know? There ain't nothing worse than finding a half-eaten sandwich in the trash. You know? I, I, you turn into your parents when you become a parent because you start to understand. But here's why I'm saying that. Here's what I'm saying. I, I forgot why I'm saying that, but here's why I'm saying that. I'll know what it is. If you wait to give to God till the end of the month, most months, there's not much money left in the month, is there? You will find somewhere to spend it. Even if your needs don't take it, your wants definitely will. And so give to God first. There's seldom enough at the end of the month if you wait. And I'll tell you, if you're already giving, but you don't give to God first off as soon as you, you know, get your paycheck or however you want to do it once a week or once a month or whatever, if you don't do that, it's another step of faith. It really is. It's another step of faith because what you're doing is you're trusting God to provide for you. God, if I give to you first, I trust that there's going to be enough for me. There's going to be enough for me. And so it's another step of faith. Matthew, Jesus said there in that same passage we talked about just a second ago from Matthew chapter 6. In verse 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And you might say, well, that's not not necessarily talking about money. That whole chapter is talking about God's provision. Chapter 6 talks all about his provision. But it's about everything we have, not just our money, but money's included. Seek first and put God first, and he will take care of everything that you need. In the Old Testament, they had the idea of the first fruits offering, that you give the best and the first to God. What kind of lamb, if you're an Old Testament student, you ever read the Old Testament, what kind of lamb did they want us to give God or God want us to give him? The first and the best, you know, give the best, the best one and give it to God right off the bat. And then here's the third one I'll I'll challenge you and encourage you with is give through the church, give through the church. Some people push back about that. There's different people have different ideas, but I'll just say it's the biblical example. It's the biblical example, and we want to be as biblical as we can, and so we believe in giving through the church. To There's some practical reasons, I believe, that God has us do that, and some of them is, you know, you, you think about this, you know, we pull our money together and we can do more, You know, all of us together can do more than what I've got, for sure. Maybe what you've got too. But when we put it together, we can do more. But another thing is this. 
is that you and I don't necessarily know the needs of somebody. And so you might be bebopping through life and never know that your brother or sister or somebody in the community has a need. You might not ever know what a missionary might need. But when there's one place that we pull our money together and we give and send and share, more people can know about what's going on. We have this idea too as well. Um, it allows for quick response, quick response. You don't have to wait and say, oh, there's a, there's a chaotic event that happens, you know, uh, natural disaster. Uh, okay, let's take up an offering so we can send money. We've already given offerings that so we put our money together and we can send money to International Disaster Emergency Services, an organization that helps people with tornadoes and tsunamis and earthquakes and all that sort of stuff. And boom, we can act just like that. And we do it together. You know, I'm not going to spend a whole lot more time on this, but I want to tell you, if you've got some questions, if you've got some concerns, and you're just like, I really want to know what God really says about giving, I'll tell you a good place to start is 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Go through and read through some of that. That's a really good thing. But let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, beginning there. It says, Now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. That's just practical teaching that Paul gave to the churches at Corinth and evidently gave it to the church at Galatia. But here's another thing that might help you with your generosity as well. Grow in generosity. Um, you know, there's a lot of debate and discussion in the church about a tithe, 10%. It's primarily taught in the Old Testament, and so some people have different varying ideas about how we need to respond in the New Testament. I would say, this is, you know, a little bit my opinion, but a lot based on Scripture, I would say that the tithe 10% is a good place to start. I believe the New Testament teaches more extreme generosity. And it's a good place to start, but it doesn't have to. It's not the command that you have to start. You start where your faith is, and then you can grow in generosity. But I would challenge you, even if you've gotten to the point of giving 10%, to consider growing some more. You know, you've heard us say here, if you've been here a few times, that following Jesus requires faith, and faith requires fear. And I would say that even in that part of our life, I ain't going to lie. There are times when we know we set it automatically to give each week, our family does. And there are times on Friday or Saturday when I know that thing's going to hit on Sunday, I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, do a miracle. <laughs> I'm, I'm just being honest because it gets tight. But we have just said, God, I'm going to trust you. There's still sometimes some fear because we've tried to up our giving as a family almost every year. We haven't done it every year. I'm not going to stand up here and try to make, you, make myself look good. That's not why I'm telling you that. I'm just a brother telling you, another brother sister, this is what I've done and I've seen God show up. But I've tried, and we've tried to grow in our faith each year, and we try to grow a little bit more all the time. Continue to let God stretch your faith. We want to grow in knowledge. We want to grow in love. We want to grow in wisdom. But don't we want to grow in generosity too? Mm, ain't nobody say amen about that. <laughs> this is one of those sermons everybody's quiet. Everybody thinks if you amen, that means you got to give more. Yeah, so they get scared. <laughs> But let me kind of sum up this, this part of the message with this. If this area is a struggle in your life, first, I understand. In some ways, it's a struggle for me. 
Not in practice, but in, in here and in here sometimes. If it's a struggle for you, I'm asking you to look honestly at yourself. If you're a believer, if you're, if you're not a Christian yet, this really doesn't apply to you yet. But if you're a Christian, I ask you to honestly look at yourself if you are struggling in this area. And just ask yourself and ask God, what's holding me back? What is holding me back? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, don't just settle for the pat excuse that a lot of people do. And people say, well, some churches and some religious leaders, they just have been dishonest with money. So I just don't think I should give to any church. That's a lame excuse. I would say this and... I say this with confidence. If you can't trust a church with your money, you shouldn't go to that church. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. And, and, I, and, and some people might say, oh, well, that, I just trust God. And, and we try to be honest and open here. And I try to live my life above reproach. And the, the people who lead in ministry here try to live their life above reproach. And so I just want you to say, look deeper and ask God to reveal to you what is your holdup and what's keeping you from giving even this part of your life to Jesus. You know, it's important to realize that we've got to trust God in everything. And it's also a little bit unfortunate here that this chapter break is where it is. I don't know if you know this. Uh, maybe this will help you win on Jeopardy one day. Um, but the chapters and verses weren't originally in the scripture when they were written. You know, most of them were written as letters and, you know, it wasn't written with chapters and verses and people came in uh, a couple hundred years later, a few hundred years later and put chapters and verses just to help us break it up a little bit easier. It's not a bad thing, but sometimes I think they got it wrong. And I think this was probably one of those times that they got the whole chapter part wrong. I don't believe there should be a break here in chapter five, verse one, but look at this with me. But a man, and see, it's, it pairs right up with what we just read in chapter 4, right? Barnabas gave and gave this generous gift. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And then it goes on to say there in chapter 5 at the beginning that his wife Sapphira comes in and they sort of test her to see if she was really in on it. And they asked, hey, was this the amount of money that you got from the sale of the property? And she's like, oh, yeah. And guess what happens to her? Look at verse 10. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. You know, they were some frustrated fellas. We just buried this dude. We got to dig another grave, you know. I ain't going to lie. I'd be that way. And they carried her out and buried her beside, beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. And this, this is, this is crazy, right? I mean, it's crazy. 
And, and a lot of people, and I'm going to get into a little bit of this, but a lot of people say, oh, well, gosh, do I have to give all of everything that I get? They sold the property. They have to give it all. I don't think that they were supposed to necessarily give it all if they didn't want to. But they were trying to give the idea that they were giving all of the money. They were trying to make themselves look better. They probably paraded in, hey, 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 look at this money. Look what I'm doing. You know, shade, you know for old churches that have the metal collection plate, chicka, chicka, chicka. Look at, listen to this. Listen to all these gold coins. They were making it rain, right? You know, they were just like, look at me. That's, I think that was the problem. They were being dishonest about the amount that they were giving. They were trying to say, we gave it all. But it was just a portion. And it may have been very generous. And that's why. But God was trying to make a point here. He's saying it's so important that you be honest with me and you be honest with each other and give from a pure and sincere and generous heart. And so right from that very moment, it says you lied to the Holy Spirit, boom, they drop dead. And that is a mind-boggling thing. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. You can imagine the next week when they were collecting the offering, people were like, Lord, a little bit more? This good? I mean, you know, it's like, it was a terrifying thing. And so you think about this. So Ananias and Sapphira both died. And so you see two extremes of generosity here in just a few verses time. You've got Barnabas who triggered a movement, a movement. And then you got Ananias and Sapphira who triggered a banger of a children's church song. If you grew up in church, like four of y'all know that song. There was a song when I was a kid in junior church. I mean, this was, we, this was a banger. We want to sing it every week. Uh, let me see if I can do it. It's more of a chant, so you don't even have to sing that well to be able to sing it. Ananias and Sapphira got together to conspire a plot to cheat the church and get ahead. They knew God's power but did not fear it. They tried to cheat the Holy Spirit. Peter prophesied it, and they both dropped dead. Oh, God loves a cheerful giver. Give it all you've got. He loves to see you smiling when you're in an awful spot. So when the odds are up against you and you cannot do a thing. Praise God to give is a joyous thing. Something like that. And then you sing it faster and faster and faster and faster. I mean, man, that was the jam every week, man. We were ready to do that one. We didn't have these like beautiful songs like they got now, you know, it's just, man, but they, they, that's one thing they did is, you know, we were singing about them folks dropping dead in church. That's <laughs> like, whew, man, my youth minister was crazy. But seriously, Barnabas triggered a movement of generosity, and Ananias and Sapphira, whether they knew it or not, they triggered a respect and a fear for God. Their actions, even though they were bad and wrong, they triggered a healthy respect for God and the apostles and their teaching. And so we've got to ask, here's the question we learn from all that, is do I tolerate hypocrisy? Do I tolerate hypocrisy? You see, that was really the real problem with Ananias and Sapphira. They were being so hypocritical, right? They were being hypocrites. They were trying to perceive or, or get everybody to perceive them as something different than what they were. And they were trying to put on this false mask, which is literally what the word, Greek word hypocrite is. It's a play actor who wore different masks to play different roles. That's why Jesus called the Pharisees these hypocrites. He was calling them Greek play actors. And that was the worst thing you could tell a Pharisee was he was like a Greek. And so that's what they were doing. They were being different. They were putting on a, a facade, a front. They were being false. They were being fake. They didn't give the total proceeds to their sale. That's not why, as we said, it's because they were trying to make people think they did. But here's the thing. The important lesson about generosity, it's not about the total amount, but it's about the heart of the giver. That's what it's about. It's about your heart 
for your gift. But even more, the lesson that we learn that might be the missing piece for us and might keep us and help us explode in growth is do I tolerate hypocrisy in my own life and in the lives of my brothers and sisters? Now, I want you to hear this. We're not spiritual police. That's not what we're called to be. There's some people that like that role. They're like, ooh, I'm taking names. You might have, y'all used to take names when y'all were in school? We did back when I was a kid. But we want to be the church name taker, some of us, but that's not what it's saying. But here's what it is saying. We need to have relationships with one another that are deeper than just surface, just surface. How are you doing good? How are you doing good? It needs to be beyond that. You got to start there, yeah, but it doesn't, shouldn't stay there. We need to have deeper relationships with people that are strong enough so we can know when one another is struggling and starting to veer off the path and start to go down a life in a road of hypocrisy. So we can encourage one another, we can pray for one another, and we can even, if need be, call one another out in love. That's what we're called to do and called to be like. So we can be healed because the truth is, is that hypocrisy leads to death. It leads to spiritual death. Matthew chapter 15, look at verse 7 through 9. It says, you hypocrites, Jesus is saying this, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then Brennan Manning said many years ago, he said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This or that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. We've got to try our best to practice what we preach and preach what we practice, hopefully, if we're doing what God's called us to do. Now, before we get upset, and I, I always want to couch this in this, because the enemy wants to whisper things in your ear. When you gather together with the church and you fight the alarm clock and you get out of bed on a Sunday morning, that's one win. But when you get here, the enemy's going to try he, all he can do to take the seeds of God's word away and get you mad or frustrated or distract you so you don't listen and you want to, to fight it. But here, before we get upset, I want you to hear this. Talking about getting rid of hypocrisy is not talking about demanding perfection. Did you hear me? Because some of you might be thinking, oh, see, here you go. He wants us to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm the first one to admit that. I struggle. I, I, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's not what it's talking about. It's not a demand for perfection at all. It's not that at all. We all do hypocritical things, but that doesn't make us a hypocrite, does it? That's not what it is. But unwillingness to repent while pretending to be living for God makes us a hypocrite. Unwilling to wrestle and fight with that sin and that temptation. I'm not talking about struggling either. There's a difference between struggling and being a hypocrite. But it's our, it's our mindset and our heart. Are we continually trying to be more like Jesus? That's when we become a hypocrite, when we stop doing that. When we stop trying to be more like Jesus and we're just trying to play a role to satisfy or trick other people. And so I believe if we want the church to explode with growth, we owe it to one another to get rid of hypocrisy, starting with our own selves. And then we help our brothers and sisters. 
You see, the great momentum of generosity and the movement of generosity and the punishing hypocrisy made a strong foundation for bravery in the face of fear and persecution. And many miracles were done by the apostles. And then it says in, in verse 14, it says, And more than ever believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. And because of this, it angered the, the Sadducees. And so they arrested the apostles. Look at verse 19 with me. It says, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors after they arrested the apostles, that is, and brought them out and said, go and stand at the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And then it says they go and they find them again and they scold them and they fuss at them again. Look at verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you to not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with this, your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. You see, it's a powerful lesson we need to ask ourselves. Because the apostles were faithfully obedient, am I faithfully obedient? That's another key to this explosive growth. Am I faithfully obedient? Just like the apostles, I believe when the church lives in one heart and one soul, giving and sharing, it inspires real life change. And I think most of us would say, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be faithfully obedient, but how do I get there, right? It's a lot harder to do. Well, here's a couple of things. First, start small. Start small with little things. Learn to practice obedience to God in small things. Because you won't be able to do the big things if you don't start where? With the small things. It's sort of like training wheels. you got to practice with training wheels maybe before you learn to, to ride a bike. Like the parable of the talents, it says that the one who was faithful with a few things was given more because he showed it could be faithful with a few. You start small and you grow. The next thing is just surround yourself with obedient people. Good company is good for you. Bad company corrupts good character, the scripture says. If you're always surrounding yourself with people who are pointing in a different direction, you're going to get pulled off course. And so make sure that you surround yourself with obedient people. There's strength in numbers. It's a whole lot easier to stand up and do the right thing if there are other people with you, right? Let's do that. And then this might sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but read your Bible. Read your Bible because you have to know the commands of God if you're going to obey the commands of God. I, I met someone one time years ago that had been going to church for, I'm talking about 40, 50 years, was a leader in the church. And somebody said something about the book of Titus. And she was like, who? She didn't know that Titus was a book in the New Testament. This wasn't somebody who was brand new to church. Literally going to church for 30 or 40 years. You've got to read your Bible. When we become faithfully obedient, the church will grow. And so this faithful obedience that we see that's fueled by radical generosity and ridding ourselves of hypocrisy, of hypocrisy allows us to find, I believe, that missing piece. The religious leaders, they were enraged about the apostles who preached and taught and reminded them that they were guilty of Jesus' death and that they needed to repent too, even as these leaders and because of that, it says that they wanted to kill them. They wanted to kill them. And they were about to, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel spoke up and reasoned with them. So they settled on beating them and then told them not to speak anymore in Jesus' name. And here's their response in chapter 5, verse 41. 
Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They said, you tell us to be quiet, we're going to preach more. We're going to preach more. I'm going to tell more people about Jesus because Jesus, the name of Jesus is powerful. We looked at last week that it's the only name given to people under heaven by which we can be saved, the name of Jesus. So we cannot, church, stop sharing the name of Jesus. So we ask this question, am I eternally minded? Am I eternally minded? Because these apostles, they were eternally minded. They cared more about eternity than this temporary life. They said, you want to kill me? Great. You're going to beat me? I'm going to rejoice because I got beat because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. And because when we understand that people coming to Jesus is the most important thing in life, you want everybody to know. But if you don't realize it's the most important thing, of course you're not going to tell people. When church becomes more than an event to you, when it's life and family that changes you because of Jesus, there's so much more than just an event you attend. Because once you start living in radical generosity, it means that you have to trust God more and God can show up more to provide for you. And that reliance on each other that we start to practice and understand and close relationships help weed out hypocrisy because we're really allowing Jesus to change us and it is contagious. But if we don't know each other, if we don't spend time together, we're never going to experience that. You know, with more committed followers together and less lukewarm people, it's easy to become more faithfully obedient, which means we're living more as God intended. You see, the idea of heaven on earth, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's not about getting ready for heaven one day. That's about having more of heaven on this earth until Jesus comes back. That's what we're called to do. And when we spend time and we sacrifice and we give and we love one another and we radically live our lives out for Jesus Christ, that will be attractive and that will pull people to us. And, you know, we talk about wanting a building of our own here at Movement. And we don't want a building that's just going to sit and be unused, you know, except for an hour or two a week. We want a building that's going to be for the church to come together. We want a building that's going to be for the community to come together. And I got all kinds of, and I try to share stuff from time to time, but man, I want a place that our community is drawn to that people can come. And, and this might sound crazy to you, but I've also heard a lot this week, if your dream doesn't sound crazy, you got too small of a dream. I want a place where we can have a community garden that anybody can come and they can help tend the garden and they can take some food if they need it. I want a place where people can come together and, and spend time together and they can rub elbows with Christians who love Jesus and they can share a cup of coffee with them. I want a place where if they want, they can come exercise and they can get healthy physically, but then they can learn how to get healthy spiritually. I want all these things because I want people to know Jesus, don't you? I want, that's why we want something like a building because it's a tool to help more people know Jesus. And when we live like the early church, when we live like the early church, the church becomes truly attractive to those inside and outside. And it grows. So the question I want to sort of wrap things up with is this. What are my missing pieces? 
I want you to answer that. I have to answer that for me. You've got to answer that for you. What are my missing pieces that I need to add to my faith to experience this kind of radical growth that we see in the early church? What do you need to add to your life so the church can become all it needs to be? Last week, we shared the idea about imagining it's like we sign a contract with God. And we talked about how a lot of us want to write the terms of the contract and then say, okay, God, here's my terms. I'm going to sign it. But know what the, the preacher tell the lady who asked the question in the story we shared? He said, imagine it's a blank piece of paper and you just sign your name and you hand it to God. What term do you need to take off of your contract that's been keeping you from experiencing more of what God intended? Maybe you've been sitting on the fringes just casually attending and you haven't been loving and living and serving along with the church body. Maybe you've been fighting the desire and the need for being baptized into Christ for, for weeks or days or months or years. Maybe today you need to say, I'm, I'm saying I'm not going to do it on my terms, I'm going to do it on your terms, and today might be that for you. Maybe it's generosity. You've just been struggling with trusting God. God, I don't know if you're going to provide for me. If I give money, I, I just don't know if I'm going to have enough. But he's God. Give it to him. Whatever it is, take it off your contract and just give him your signed blank contract. Because we want more people to know Jesus. And when we all come together and we live it out, there's nothing that can stop the kingdom of God through his people. Let's stand, let's sing. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's Sermon Podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement MC.